And now, The Travel Show with Arthur and Pauline Fromer. Your chance to talk to the publishers of the nation's best-selling travel guide series. Whether your travel destination is around your corner or any corner of the world, the Fromers will help you get the most out of your travel experience and save you money at the same time. And now, Arthur and Pauline Fromer. And this is the travel show in which we talk about vacations. Welcome. I'm Arthur Fromer. And I'm Pauline Fromer. And in the time ahead, we're going to be discussing travel. And that's a conversation you can get in on if you want to be a guest. If you're in the travel industry and you have something interesting to say about a new trend or, or something that isn't just honking your own horn, you can email me at FromerTravelShow at Yahoo.com. That invitation is also open to travelers who might have a question that we could answer on air. For those of you who are travelers who don't need to talk to me personally, talk to our authors. Listen to what they have to say. You'll find Fromer Guides in every bookstore in the United States. You'll find Fromers.com to be one of the best resources out there for travelers. And you'll also find us on every form of social media. Just look for the word Fromers on Pinterest, on Instagram, on Facebook, and on Twitter. And Pauline, you now have an important announcement to make. Yes. We now have, up on Fromers.com, the best places to go in 2020 list. Oh, my. Um, now, uh, you know, we were the people who actually pioneered this. We were the first company, Fromers was, to create these lists year after year after year. We've got a lot of competition now. A lot of different entities are creating these lists. But we think we do it the best. And why is that? Because... We use the resources that many other companies don't have, which is authors who are embedded in destinations around the world. They're our resource. We reach out to them in the fall of every year and say, do you know of a destination, either the destination you're in or one near you, that's going to be really great to visit in the coming year? Now, when I say great to visit, I mean is it unusually inexpensive right now? Is it usually unusually convenient right now? Does it now suddenly have direct flights and never had that before? Is there a great party going to be taking place in the coming year? Is there an anniversary celebration that you're going to want to see? Is the Olympics happening? <laughs> um, all of these types of events and types of occurrences make a destination really interesting uh, and more interesting than it might be in other years. We think destinations are like fine years, fine wines, I should say. Some years they're better than others. And so we created a list. And for the next several shows, I'm going to be giving you what is on those lists. So let me see. And, and this is in no particular order, but one of the places we're recommending right now is Buenos Aires. And uh, why is that, Pauline? Because there's been a massive devaluation of the Argentinian peso over the last two right. years. And so, you know, this is the land of tango, of incredible cuts of beef, of Malbec wines, of soccer, of culture, of high-priced pleasures. But right now, because the peso is so 
inexpensive against the dollar, you can go there and have incredible adventures for a fraction of what you would have paid in, in years past. Now, when this happened several years ago, Pauline, the expensive hotels immediately proceeded simply to raise their prices. So <laughs> right. Even though the uh, tourists had the advantage of a devalued uh, currency, yeah. nevertheless, that, that didn't bring them the, a, a lower cost of staying in Buenos Aires. But we, in response to that conundrum, we we suggested to people that they stay at hotels that are patronized by normal Argentinians, right. by people who who live there, who who actually have to spend very little money on their accommodations, or avoid hotels altogether. In general, you're not going to be seeing this type of strategy from the Airbnbs That's right. and, and the, the rental apartments. It's is quite active in part in Argentina, and there are perhaps dozens and dozens of accommodations that they will make available. To you. Yes, and so uh, in terms of accommodations, you don't have to pay too much. In terms of shopping, you're definitely going to be able to get splendid goods there for much less than you would have in recent years, whether you want to get cutting-edge fashions, and there are some really great Argentinian designers, fine wines, cuts of beef, you name it, it's going to be a shopping mecca. And- As well, um, we have an author in uh, Buenos Aires. Oh, I don't think I have his name here. I'm blanking on his name. Lovely guy. He says that there's some really interesting um, new emerging neighborhoods uh, that uh, that are r- worth going to and visiting. There's one called Villa Crespo, which everybody calls Villa Kreplock because <laughs> it has a large Jewish population. Uh, but it, this is now a place where there are these underground beer bars where they're making artisanal beers underground art spaces where artists are doing their own shows and ad hoc galleries, hidden late night lounges, and and there's an enormous billiards hall uh, where people play chess and play ping pong and billiards until two or three in the morning. Uh, San Telmo neighborhood, which is one that's always been famous for its antiques fair, and that's a great thing to see. In last year, the old market was redone and it now has all of these really interesting new stands in it that aren't just selling produce but up-and-coming chefs are using these stands they can't afford to start full restaurants but they're using these stands to try really interesting gastronomic cuisine for very little money as well there's been this movement in argentina of artists collectives and as some stores have gone out of business these artists have banded together to create their own gallery spaces these are people who used to sell their artworks on blankets in the market square and now they're actually working out of stores so, so pauline obviously buenos aires leads our list or, it's it, not it, number one we, not i'm number not doing one? this i'm not doing this in order in fact we have i'm not going to talk about what's number one because we don't really want to think about it okay we won't talk about number one but we will talk about the one destination that everybody is going to want to consider for the year 2020 and that is japan which is hosting the olympics the olympics will take place in late july but primarily into the month of august 
and they will be taking place in a country that knows how to put on oh, a, yeah. a true Olympics, namely the country of Japan. I, I can imagine the unbelievable opening and closing ceremonies that will be on, oh, yeah. the, on well, display Well, even there. beyond that, I mean, when, when, they, when they did their first Olympic Games, Japan's, in 1964, they went all out and they dazzled the world with these futuristic sports venues. They debuted the bullet train for the Olympics. Right. Nobody had ever seen a train that fast. The very first large-scale monorail was also debuted. It's going to be as tech-savvy uh, for this Olympics. For example, there's going to be robots greeting visitors and giving directions and delivering concessions <laughs> to people in the stands. Um, there's going to be they're going to be very uh, sustainable. So of the vehicles that are going to be used to transport people between the different sports venues, 90 percent of them, and that includes driverless cars, 90 percent will be electric. They say that it's going to be the lowest emissions of any any games. That is and very you know exciting. What? Even that is the, so exciting. Even the gold, silver, and bronze medals are being manufactured entirely from recycled cell phones and other small electronics. So that's what the medals are made of. But a lot of these benefits are going to have long-reaching uh, benefits. For example, they're creating a new cruise ship terminal. Uh, there's going to be more signs in English all over Tokyo, so it'll be a lot more easy to, to get around. And they're finally doing um, improvements to make it a more accessible city. So taxis are going to be wheelchair-friendly. Subway station restrooms and sidewalks and hotel rooms are also going to be redone for people in wheelchairs. Now, they're expecting 10 million visitors for the Olympics, uh, and they have built a lot of hotels, they built 130 in 2018, uh, 20, uh, 190 are supposed to come online by the summer of 2020, but they're not thinking that's going to be enough. So anybody who is even thinking of going to the Olympics, you need to make your reservations now. A lot of the people who go are going to have to stay outside of the city but for, in for nearby benefit, towns. For, for the benefit of people who are just tuning in, we are talking about the Summer Olympics of the year 2020 that this year take place in Tokyo, Japan, and that is an exciting. Yes, uh, that is an and exciting. And it's one of our it's one of, of our picks for the best places to go in 2020. You will find Obviously. that list on Fromers.com. We're doing something a little different this year. We picked 19 places, and then we're going to have the public pick the 20th. So if you go to Fromers.com, you'll be able to vote for your destination. So go at it. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. I'm gonna, it's going to be interesting to see what the public thinks is the best place to go in the year 2020. So let me repeat that. You're going to want to go to fromers.com. That's spelled F-R-O-M-M-E-R-S.com. I think the URL should be fromers.com slash best places 2020. And on the very last slide, click through. I mean, I think you're going to want to read them all because it's interesting. On the very last slide, you'll be able to nominate any place in the world you think is great to go. So we hope you'll play along. We have to take a break. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to The Travel Show. We are big fans of the national parks here. We're also big fans of National Geographic. They have wonderful publications for travelers. One of the newest is called National Geographic's Atlas of the National Parks. And undertaking that mighty task of writing that book about our natural wonders is John Waterman. Uh, welcome to the Travel Show, John. Thank you so much for being here. Pleasure to be here with you. So what is your background? How do you know so much about the national parks? Well, I've had a, a lifetime in parks, and the, it was accentuated, of course, by my time as a national park ranger in Rocky Mountain and Denali National Parks. Mm. But I've had an interest in the national parks since I was a teenager and have had the opportunity to explore most, but not quite all of them, uh, from coast to coast, from the, the bottom of uh, Florida to uh, the top of the Arctic. Now, were you, there's a lot of national parks. Are they all included in this guide? They're, they're what, 230 now, or, is that, or has it gone up? Well, it, you know, it, that's a great question because it depends on how you count them. <laughs> uh, technically, there are 419 uh, uh, treasures, national treasures, mm. administered by the National Park Service. But th- those that are actual national parks versus monuments or battlefields or recreation areas, there are only 61. So this Atlas of the National Parks is about the 61 famous national parks such as the Grand Canyon, Yellowstone, etc. Like all of the National Geographic books, it's beautiful to look at, but how in your dreams will travelers use it? Well, I think there's a variety of ways they can use it. My favorite way for people to use this book is is get to get the hell away from the coffee table and get out there <laughs> and explore these parks and that's right. the, sort of the ideal behind this book is to inspire people not only of the beauty of these places and this amazing democratic ideal behind them, but to really get out there and explore them and see what's out there because they were created for, for all of us to 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 go there rather than to just look at the pretty pictures. Well, there are a lot of people going. The, the surprising thing is often when you're in the great national parks of the American West, you run into a lot of Germans and European, other European travelers there. Uh, it yeah. seems like this yeah. is something that Americans have yet to discover. Have you found that? Well, um Interesting question. And statistically, yes, there are a lot of foreigners that come to this country to visit the national parks because of not only their fame, but because it's really an unprecedented ideal uh, and process. You know, other, with few exceptions, this, this just doesn't exist elsewhere in the world. And for particularly in Europe, mm. in, in that crowded continent, right. um, there aren't, they just don't have these huge preserves of land right we're speaking with sorry one second we're speaking with john waterman who is the author of the new national geographic atlas of the national parks an inside look at the beauty that drives more than 330 million visitors to america's parks each year sorry i I cut, cut you off what were you about to say well exactly what you said in fact it's (laughs) extraordinary because 330 million people uh, up to that many uh, visit 
per year, and that's the entire population uh, of the U.S., if you mm. think about it. So yeah. Uh, depending on which parks you choose to visit, you could be sharing it with a lot of other people. Now, you deal with a lot of superlatives in the book. Uh, you talk about the tallest waterfall, the deepest lake, the largest tree. Where are those three items if you want to check things off your bucket list? Well, you go to to see the tallest tree, you go to the redwoods. Mm. Uh, to see the, the, the biggest tree by volume, you go a little bit further south in California to Sequoia National Park. And to see the tallest waterfall, you go again in California to to Yosemite Valley. Right. Um, but the superlatives are just the, the sort of the icing on the cake. And a lot of my book was dedicated to bringing people inside, into the guts, if you will, of these parks and what creates the geysers, the likelihood of the geysers, for instance, erupting or or the, the well tell me about uh, that what what is what creates the likelihood of the geysers erupting well i'm speaking specifically of of yellowstone right. national park which overlies a great supervolcano and by some predictions uh fortunately not most predictions <laughs> this this supervolcano could erupt again uh mm. anytime soon um, but in geologic time, anytime soon, might be 10,000 years from now. Right, uh, right. And, and such an eruption, of course, would, would devastate the continent of North America. Yeah. No, it's, but, a, it's an amazing sight when you go to Yellowstone. I mean, it really does look the, like the surface of another planet, like you've left Earth entirely. Um, because it's this, what, the, is it the largest volcanic uh, caldera on Earth? It is one of the largest. One of the largest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and one of my favorite photographs, in fact, from the book is of one of these calderas from the air, where you really get a perspective of both the size of it and the ant-like vehicles down huh. below on the tiny road. Wow. But it's, the, the colors, the otherworldly colors that just make this place look like something from another planet. Yeah. Well, everybody knows about Yellowstone. What's a national park that not as many people know about but would have a wonderful trip to see? Well, in the lower 48, uh, there are places like Isle Royale National Park. In, it's Michigan's only national park up in northern Lake Superior, which is one of the least visited national parks. Not the least. The least would be gates of the Arctic uh, in northern Alaska, which is mm. the only Arctic, true, entirely Arctic, above, that is above the Arctic Circle wow. in northern Alaska. It's uh, the second largest national park of them all, yet has the fewest visitors. Mm. Wow. They, so that's a place you, you could go, unlike uh, Yosemite or Yellowstone or or uh, Zion National Park, where you really would have the place, you would feel as if you had the place utterly to yourself. Isn't that amazing? Well, we have been speaking with John Waterman. He is the author of National Geographic's new Atlas to the American National Parks. Thank you so much, John, for appearing on The Travel Show. Thank you. Again, it's my pleasure.
are listening to The Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer, here with my dad, Arthur Fromer. And in the studio, we have a special treat. She is Natasha Schlesinger. She is an art expert. But why we had her on the show is because she is the president of Art Muse, which is a fascinating app and system of viewing art that's debuted in New York, but I think may spread to other places. So welcome to the Travel Show, Natasha. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. This is a pleasure. Yeah, well, it's it's exciting. I was very excited when I heard about what Art Muse is doing. And this is an app. You can download it for free onto your phone. It's called Art Muse Select. And it shows you the parts of the art world that not everybody gets to see, and it also shows you the regular parts of the art world in, in a smarter way. Is that a, a fair way to put it? Yes, exactly. It's it, it's for both the novice and the expert. Mm-hmm. We want to be able to provide um, a platform for people to go on to connect, because as it develops, it will become a social kind of platform for people to ah. exchange what they like, what they want to go see, to share with their friends um, spouses and you know the world at large what they're looking at in terms of going to galleries and going museums galleries. and the like but exactly to me your biggest um, innovation is through this app you can book time to go into artists studios and this isn't your cousin Johnny who sits in his garage and creates who know what who's no you know it's this these are real working artists who have a following how, how does that work and, and how do people arrange that exactly so so we wanted to we're not covering museums right now we're covering galleries we're covering covering pop-up shows and we're covering what we're um, calling artist studios which is um, New York City is very rich with studios of artists, with artists, working artists, living here, working mm-hmm. here. Um, even if they have galleries or exhibitions elsewhere, New York is their basis. And, of course, reaching them is not an easy thing. You have to know them or know the gallery. Sure. But there are plenty of artists who don't always work with galleries or who have galleries elsewhere. And we felt that it was very important and important to them to be able to connect with their audiences, potential collectors, people who just want to see their work. And so for us, it was a way for somebody um, who's interested in seeing the work of an artist outside of an exhibition space right. to go directly to them. And so they use the app to set, to select the artist they want to see, mm. to preview some of their works, and then to connect to the artist studios through us. So we're not opening the door for anybody to just walk in mm-hmm. and interrupt their work. Sure, you know, right. We're filtering it through because <laughs> yeah. we want to be able to this say... This is by appointment. You're by not appointment. just going to barge into exactly. someone's studio. Exactly. We're not revealing the addresses of the ga- mm. of the, um, artist studios until somebody contacts us and then we'll say, well, this is where it is. In fact, you can book a few artists in one day's viewing huh. and go to so see... somebody could come on vacation to New York and not just see art in the museums, but actually see it where it's created. Exactly. And, you know, so many people come to New York to see art. I mean, Really, New York is at the well, moment it's the, the biggest center. gallery scene in the world, by right? Far. By far, it is absolutely over fifteen hundred galleries in New York City alone, in all of the different boroughs. You know, and oftentimes I take people around to galleries, um, to unusual spaces and studios of artists, even for for very um, you know experienced collectors. 
is is a difficult thing. They don't just mm. reach out to them and and go. It's a special appointment, no matter who you are, right? Because you know it's just it's access, and it's we're providing that access to whoever comes to New York or lives in New York. Now at the Whitney Biennial, uh, not this recent one, but two years ago, there was a big exhibition. It was kind of about money, and they said that the biggest investments today are New York real estate and art, that those have the best return on your money. So say somebody comes on vacation to New York, they make a an appointment to visit an artist's studio. Can they buy art from that artist directly? And it would, would it be less than it would cost if they went through a gallery? It's an interesting question. Sometimes it could be less. Sometimes an artist doesn't even have a gallery. It's the only way to reach them. Hmm. Other times they might have a gallery. Now, that al- always will depend on an artist's relationship with a gallery. Right. If an artist feels... How honest they are. How, how honest <laughs> they are and how strong their relationship. I mean, there right. are many artists I go to where you cannot buy directly from them. You have to go through the gallery. And other times you can get a studio price. Uh, which is a special relationship we might have with the artist and the access to them. But it's not only about the potential discount. It's also about access and and really getting to know the artist mm. firsthand, not just buying an art you know, off the wall, but actually getting to know what the process is, what the inspiration is, who this artist is, what the background, that's, that's invaluable. Yeah. We're speaking with Natasha Schlesinger, who is the president of Art Muse. They have a terrific app Uh, I get it. It's called Art Muse Select. If you're going to New York and you want a gallery tour, if you want to visit artist studios, if you want to hear what's happening in terms of the pop-up art scene, tell me about that. So, exactly. So, the art world is changing. I mean, as we speak, it's constantly, it's evolving. There's a lot of changes going on. And one of the fundamental changes is the way you see art. You know, not just in a museum, not just in a gallery, but in a non-traditional uh, space, I would say. So it could be it's an, it could be an interactive, immersive experience. This idea of pop-ups. It can pop up in a hotel. It can pop up in a store. Hmm. It can pop up in an empty space. And suddenly it gets transformed into an art, into an art experience. And that's very exciting. And there are no actual lists of that. I feel we're the first ones, particularly to use technology to direct people to interesting spaces that have been you know, converted into these, transformed into these art spaces. Yeah. Yes. And there's no lists of those. There's anymore. not really, no. really, there's lots of them, but well, nothing. You find them at Art Muse. You can find them in Art Muse Select. Yeah. Exactly. And um, one final question. You also do tours through Art Muse. Would yes. those be galleries, museums, a mix? How does that work? I do anything that is art. We'll do a tour, whether it's in a museum, in an art gallery, artist studios, pop-up shows, we can do, you know, we, we do art tours. I have some freelancers who work with me, but we cover ancient to contemporary and we will form a, a formulate a tour, customize it according to people's knowledge, expertise, interests, age, right. um, how big the group is. We can do, we sort of, we've done everything through the years. And this is in New York, but hopefully soon, maybe in other cities, maybe in Absolutely. Los Angeles. Absolutely. I actually have partners on the ground in Paris, in London, in, um, yes, in Spain, uh, in L.A., um, who also do tours. Oh, yes, wow. Okay, do. so go to Art Muse for all of those cities. Thank you so much, Natasha, Absolutely. for appearing on The Travel Show. You're welcome. Thank you.
Welcome back to The Travel Show. On the phone, we have Nicola Wood. She is a travel editor for U.S. News and World Report, and they have announced their best cruise lines for 2020. Welcome back to The Travel Show, Nicola. Thank you so much for having me. So um, how do you come up with these rankings? So we consider three main criteria when we rank our different cruise lines. Uh, We'll take into account the expert score, which is determined by our editor's analysis, as well as a health score that's based on inspection scores by the CDC and a traveler rating as well that's provided by CruiseLine.com. Okay, so you're in in partnership with CruiseLine.com. How many travelers did they talk to to get these ratings? Uh, it really varies uh, by ranking, but uh, they definitely consider all of the ranking the ratings that are on their website. I see. Okay. Well, let's let's get to who the winners are. If you're looking for a good value cruise line for the money, which is the best line to be on? So this year, Royal Caribbean International won our best cruise lines for the money ranking. And why? What made them so good? Uh, So I like to say that our best cruise lines for the money ranking is not necessarily uh, which is the cheapest cruise line, but it's the one that provides the best value at a relatively low price point. Uh, So Royal Caribbean really excels in this category because they offer a ton of amenities, a bunch of dining options, um, unique features like zip lines and ice rinks on board, as well as a variety of itineraries at an affordable price point. So they were the winner in the For the Money category. Came in, coming in second was Celebrity, and third was Norwegian. Now, looking Correct. at the other side of the scale, luxury cruises, <laughs> I, I, I think this is probably a very smart pick. Who, who won the number one in this slot? Yes, so number one this year was Viking Ocean Cruises. And for people who don't know that Viking does does cruises beyond river cruises, I think this may come as a surprise. But a couple of years ago, they launched ocean-going cruises, and they've been getting raves. But in your opinion, why did they deserve this ranking? So I'd say they earned this ranking because they have smaller ships that are really focused on the best customer experience possible. Um, Every cabin has its own private veranda, and you'll also find a bunch of luxurious amenities like a a Nordic-inspired spa, heated bathroom floors in every stateroom, and a number of uh, luxury dining options on board. And number two was Seabourn. That's a very different type of cruise experience, isn't it, than Viking? Um, It is a bit different, but they definitely provide luxury as well. Um, So it makes sense that they came in as number two. Right. All right. If you are traveling with kids, and for anybody tuning in late, we're speaking with Nicola Wood. She's a travel editor for U.S. News and World Report. They have a rankings out right now for the best cruise lines. And they looked at which ones are best for people traveling with children. This seems obvious, but who won? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Disney Cruise Line came in first as our best cruise line for families. And the reasoning? Uh, So their ships are definitely tailored specifically toward children, so it's a great family vacation option. Um, You can expect to find Disney characters on board, as well as themed dinners and fireworks, water slides, and just a bunch of kid-friendly events. I know that a lot of people like Disney for families because they also do a good job in pampering the parents. It's not just about the kids, right? Absolutely. There are some adults-only dining options and relaxation areas as well. 
so you can get away from the children. I, I actually have heard that there are some people who take Disney even without kids because Disney does not have casinos on board. So for people with mm-hmm. gambling addictions, this can be a good option for them. You also rated Disney as best for cruises to the Caribbean. So you did did it by region of the world. Why do they win there? Uh, So it's kind of twofold. So just the level of service generally on Disney Cruise Line is very high. uh, So that kind of pumps it up in our rankings. And they also do travel to a variety of ports across the Caribbean. So uh, many of their itineraries will include Castaway Cay, which is their private island in the Bahamas. So uh, cruisers on these lines really get a lot of fun time in the Caribbean. Right. And and Castaway Key is known for having all kinds of amenities that are very kid-friendly. Um, all right. So that's for the Caribbean. Which is the best line if you're going to the Mediterranean and why? Uh, so to go to the Mediterranean this year, we recommend Seaborne Cruise Line. Uh, they offer a wide variety of itineraries in the Mediterranean and their accommodations are generally just very luxurious. Um, you also have the option of traveling to less traveled destinations in the Caribbean, that, or I'm sorry, the Mediterranean, that you may not have thought of, such as Montenegro and Malta. So oh. a lot of interesting options. Is that because their ships are slightly smaller, so they can go into the smaller porting areas? Yep, that's absolutely right. Their ships carry either 458 or 600 guests, depending on the ship. So. Which allows them to have much Great. more flexibility in terms of their... Uh, in terms of their itineraries. Well, we have been speaking with Nicola Wood. As I said before, she's a travel editor for U.S. News and World Report. If people want to see these rankings, where can they go? Yeah, they can head to travel.usnews.com slash cruises. Thank you so much, Nicola. Thank you very much. Welcome back to The Travel Show. We started this hour talking about the best places to go in 2020. This is a special article we have on Fromers.com. We hope you'll visit us there to read it. We're giving away some of those places right now. And one of those places is the city of Maastricht in the Netherlands. One of the reasons we picked it is we love Holland. We love the Netherlands. But Amsterdam is totally overwhelmed with visitors. It's just not as pleasant as it used to be to visit anymore. And Maastricht is a city with gorgeous museums, with impressive churches, with cafes on cobblestone streets. Uh, it gets the TFAF Art Fair, which is this week-long march event that has 7,000 years worth of works, including old masters' paintings, priceless antiques, marvels of contemporary design, in fact, in fact, people are starting to find out about Maastricht. According to Airbnb data, in 2019, it had a 55% year-over-year increase in terms of the number of people 
uh, booking to go there. Dad, have you ever been to Maastricht? I have been to Maastricht, and Pauline, you have to be, you have to spell Maastricht so that people can find it. M A A, there are two A's, M A A S T R I C H T. That's Maastricht, and I completely endorse your choice of Maastricht as one of the best places to go in the year 2020. Well, the problem is, if you want to see Dutch culture nowadays and you go to Amsterdam, you'll be walking along the streets and you're more likely to hear English or German (laughs) or French uh, because the city is just so overwhelmed. We're not saying not to go to Amsterdam, uh, but we're saying that if you're going to the lowlands, if you're going to uh, the Netherlands, broaden your your net a little bit. Uh, We live in an era, unfortunately, of great over-tourism. There are certain destinations that just are being pounded into the ground by the feet of millions of tourists. And Amsterdam has become one of them. And because that, when you choose a place like Maastricht instead of Amsterdam, you also pay significantly less, not only for hotel rooms and for Airbnbs and the like, but for for restaurants, uh, for museum entries, uh, for nightlife. Everything there is significantly cheaper uh, than it is in Amsterdam. Uh, so we hope you'll go to Maastricht. This this hour, we also discussed the fact that Japan is hosting an Olympics, and it's going to be an incredible event. Uh, we also talked about Buenos Aires and what a deal it is to go there. We're adding Maastricht as a trio, but there are 19 picks on our site, plus an area where you can vote for where you think people should go in 2020. So we hope you'll visit Fromers.com. You'll get to see the whole list. They're gorgeous pictures for every uh, single destination written by Fromer Guidebook writers. We have to take a short break. And we wish you a very hearty bon voyage. Bon voyage.